All right, let's get this show started. Welcome to The Writer and the Critic, a monthly podcast devoted mostly to books, reviews, or whatever else takes our fancy. This is episode 86 and our last episode of the year. <coughs> and sorry about my voice, uh, but it will, it will be fine. It will be fine. All right, Kirsten. And oh, hello, Kirsten. Hi. What? Wait, you cheered the fact this was our last episode of the year. <laughs> I am anticipating. Hey, I'm anticipating a couple of months of um, not editing and not worrying about deadlines for the podcast. I have enough deadlines in my life at the moment. Yes, so we're taking two months off, which makes this essentially a ten episode a season type of podcast. If 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 this is the sort of thing you keep track of, <laughs> which I think is fine. Exactly, because <laughs> because you know, like um, Better Call Saul, that's a ten episode season. And so it's Breaking they, Bad, and they're do. really good TV shows. They and, do. And they, clearly they, we mould ourselves on them. They don't, they don't take a year to get to those 10 episodes, though, is, is the problem. Uh, no. So, um, <laughs> you know, I was looking forward, like not looking forward as anticipating, but I was just like scheduling, thinking, oh, our 100th episode will be coming up soon. It won't be to 2023. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> We're so slow. I know. <laughs> <laughs> We'll both be very old. Which, you know, we- on that note, happy birthday, Kirsten! Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> For those who who aren't aware, it is my birth. It was my birthday on Halloween or Beltane, as we have in the Southern Hemisphere, which is always a bit bit of a disconnect. So I I do celebrate the secular holiday of Halloween, which is fun, and then I we light a candle for Beltane and say a blessing. So it's fun. It's fun to do the both. We're thinking next year when we actually have Sawain in the middle of the year in the Southern Hemisphere, we may actually decorate the house again. <laughs> and, and just make people go, what? It's, you know, in the Southern Hemisphere that it, that it is our, that will be our Halloween time. So that will be, you know, the, the harvest time and coming into winter and all of that stuff. So, so when's that, um, April? May. Six, okay. six, subtract six months. That makes sense. <laughs> That's, yes. So it's the so yeah it's I mean it's it very end of of April like that crossover. April, to be fair, April to May. the people in Ballarat already call you the crazy lady at the corner, so it will make no difference. No, no, no that oh my god, we had um, so <laughs> the house next door to us um, is now a rental, and we had a, a a lady move in with her four young boys. They're all primary school age, um, and they only moved in a couple of months ago. And they were losing their shit over our decorations, because <laughs> we, we did it. We did a small one this year. Next year's going to be massive, but we did a little one this year, and just put some stuff out in the front yard and and things. And um, they, they, yeah. The, every time we brought something out from the, because we have so much stuff for Halloween, it's in the garage, and we just opened all our tubs and picked select things we could put up quickly and easily. Um, yeah, such as. Oh well, we 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 have like spiders and webs, and Jason's got a lot of lights, coloured lights that we put in spotlight into trees and things. Um, some corpses, bats, some bags of bones. Um, I've got a. I've. It's not a Halloween thing. It's in my back room the whole time of the year. But I have a, a proper medical grade yes, skeleton. I've, I've met your skeleton. And he wears a top hat and a wig. <laughs> he looks a bit like Slash from Guns N' Roses, if people remember. <laughs> and he just stood out by the letterbox. And um, What did the primary school kids think of the skeleton? 
they lost their shit when he came out. <laughs> just... So next year they're just going to die when we do it all properly. He'll be sitting in a coffin in the front yard next year holding a glass of blood. Not actual blood, just red stuff. I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. Okay. But, yeah, we, we may do we may do Halloween in May next year. So, yeah, so, so like I said, there's already an expectation. So if you do it in May, no one's going to be shocked. <laughs> no, no, they'll be just like, wait, wait. If you can have goddamn Christmas in July, I can have Samhain in April, May. Wait, if I can have Christmas in July, who you pointed to? Me no, no, not you. Like all, oh. like the rest of the the secular world who has Christmas in July because that's when it's winter and snowing and uh, down here in Australia. I mean, so we we often it might seem an odd thing. I don't know if people in the northern hemisphere bother about it, but down here in Australia, at least, there is this thing that's grown up over the last decade or so of of what they call Christmas in July. It's partially a retail push to get people to buy shit, but it's also, you know, that's when it's cold. That's when you actually want log fires and eggnog and all the stuff that the Northern Hemisphere people have during Yule. Um, so, so yeah, so, you know, why not? <laughs> Halloween in at the beginning of May. Yeah, I, I have none of this shit. Well, you have your Jewish stuff. <laughs> 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 you guys have a lot of holidays, believe me. You're on the head right now with that one. You have your Jewish stuff. <laughs> but you do. You ha- you're always posting on Facebook about your the holidays that you're and right. the First off, that's, that's, that's not accurate. Do. That's not accurate. Second off, we just finished off the major holiday seasons, probably two, week, two or three weeks ago. Yeah. So um, yeah, there's nothing until uh, Christmas, which is, of course, Hanukkah. So... Uh, I don't know why I'm talking about this. I, I don't know why a, you why, – why did you bring this up? You why? brought it up by saying you didn't get anything and I pointed out as attested by your various posts on Facebook throughout <laughs> the year, you do seem to have quite a lot of observances, festivals and holidays. So, <laughs> uh, so um, this, is, this, is, this is a magnificent segue, well done, Kirsten, <laughs> into you. our first book, which uh, – Yes, there we go. It is. Has festivals <laughs> – Hanging off it. It's got Well, I don't know that you'd big... say festivals. Well, rituals. Rituals. <laughs> rituals, definitely. What's our first book, Ian? <laughs> um, it's uh, Little Eve by Katrina or Catriona Ward. Yeah. Such a good book. It's the first book of hers I've read. And oh my goodness me. I am a Okay, I have to get it out fan. here. I have to get out here. I love this book, by the way. Yes. I love it too. I adored this book. I'm gonna go way, and get I'm your other two. I'm already expecting that you're going to hate the book I chose. We'll get to that. <laughs> yes, I, 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 have, I have my feelings. I, I, just, 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 anyway, moving along. Um, yes, we'll get to that. But uh, Little Eve, um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm also uh, potentially going to get Raw Blood and there's one that's what the, the Last House on Needle, Needless Street. There you go. Yeah. The Last House on oh, Needless Street. Oh, I am, I am getting those two and reading them during our summer break. <laughs> But, Ward is a magnificent writer. Oh my goodness but, me! On on a sentence level, on a structure level, like this book was this book was my jam. I'll tell you why I love this book. Can I tell you why? Can I please? Is or should it, we first describe what the book's about, and then I'll jump? In. Yeah, read read the blurb. Read okay. the blurb. I'll read the blurb. <laughs> so, Eve and Dina are everything to one another. Never part a day or night. They are raised among the children, a community of strays and orphans, ruled by a mysterious figure they call Uncle 
All they know is the grey grey isle of Altnahara, which sits in the Black Sea off the wildest coast of Scotland. Eve loves the free, savage life of the isle and longs to inherit Uncle's power. She is untroubled, save by her dreams of soft arms and a woman singing. Dina longs for something other. But the world is at war and cannot be kept at bay. As the solitude of Altnahara is broken, Eve's faith and sanity, sanity fracture. In a great storm in the depths of winter, as the old year dies, the locals discover a devastating scene on the isle. Eve and Dina's account of that night contradict and intertwine. As past and present converge, only one woman can be telling the truth. Who is guilty? Who innocent? That's actually a pretty decent blurb. It is a really, really good blurb. And I'm just going to say before I forget off the bat um, that this book won the August Derleth Award for Best Horror Novel in 2019, which is part of the British Fantasy Awards. And I can see why. (laughs) And I believe her first novel, Raw Blood, also won that same award when it was was published. Um, This is such a good book. And I'm also going to warn listeners up front, it is going to be impossible for Ian and I to have an in-depth discussion of this book without spoiling it in major ways. Yes. So seriously, stop listening. Don't want it to be spoiled um, and you haven't read it yet. Skip ahead. I'll put the timestamp for the, the discussion of the next book in the show notes. Um, and you can come back and listen to this part after you've read the book, because honestly, this is one you, you, you don't want spoiled. It is so cleverly structured. So yes, fair warning. If you don't want spoilers, turn off now or skip ahead. Should we put thinking music in for like a minute? No, I'm kidding. <coughs> so on that note. It'll take them a minute to press pause. <laughs> well, no, but they think, you know, you're ending that sentence and you might just say, and the butler did it. And, you know, like there's no gap. Oh, Ian, you t- so, oh no, now they So there's no time for them to press the button. <laughs> and the thing is you don't even find out there is a butler until the second last page. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so in all seriousness, um, I thought I was done with unreliable narrators. I just thought, yeah, that was something 10 years ago. It was hot 20 years ago. That's it. We're done with it. We don't do that anymore. Gone girl, think of the book, unreliable narrators. They're everywhere. It's cliched. It's boring. <laughs> it's, well, it's I, done. I, I think we first have to acknowledge that on a point of craft, any first person narrator is going uh, to be unreliable. Uh, you know, no, I'm just I'm just saying any first person narrator is going to be an unreliable narrator and I know a lot of first person books are not written in that way but I think as as critical readers we have to consider that is always the possibility. Just like any piece of fiction is a counterfactual which will come relevant in the when we talk about the second book. <laughs> no, 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 no. What I, what I'm saying is like it, it's yes, I know a lot of Probably I would hazard to guess the majority of, vast majority of first-person perspective novels are not written as though they're unreliable, even though that's something you have to kind of take into the book. But this one, I think I think the difference between the way Ward is writing this book with her unreliable narrator is it's not showy. That's not the point of the book. When I think of a book like um, Liar by Justine Bolestier, which is a great book, really like it, it's very uh, explicit about what it's doing as an unreliable narrator. The narrator is constantly saying to you every kind of section, oh, by the way, I lied about that. Here's the actual thing that happened. And then the next section, oh, I lied about that too. Actually, this is the truth. Um, This, like Little Eve, is not showy in that. And 
the unreliability of the narrator and the what you find out by the end of the book, the kind of the resolution of who the narrator actually is, is not part of what drags you through the book. It's not part of the the many mysteries that that keep you reading. It's, it's you kind are- of it's a reveal at the end, but it's not like oh my god. Um, it felt it was a reveal, but it also felt very very fucking natural. <laughs> You're right. That's that's why I loved it. Because yeah. it didn't feel like an artifice or mm. aren't I doing something really clever here? It's mm. uh, Which she is. Doing which something she is. So really clever. clever. So but, clever. But done with such subtlety mm. and, as you said, it's so organic to the to the narrative that you feel, yeah, okay, oh, my mind's already blown. Just it's blow, a very further. It's a very deft sleight of hand. That she's doing because, and here begin the spoilers, people, uh, because she's setting it up as though the narrator of this book is it's two women, as the blurb indicates, that it's Dina and it's Eve and their stories can't both be true, so which, you know, but the truth is probably somewhere in the middle yeah. and there'll be a healthy dose of, you know, perspective and subjectivity that we'll need to kind of try to untangle to get to what actually may have happened. And actually, when once you get to the end of the, the narrator is is Eve all the way. It's Evelyn all the way through. That that has that's been the narrator except, all the way through. Except there are some very f- important third person bits at the very end. She breaks. Uh, I'm still not convinced that's a break. I'm still not convinced uh, that it's not Evelyn writing another third person bit. That this one she doesn't send to anyone because she doesn't okay. need to. Based on the fact that we get these other third-person parts, which is Evelyn as Dina writing, uh, creating um, something which may or may not have happened, I'm not convinced that that. But we also get. Yeah, but we also get. Okay, I'm not going to look. All right, we also get the (laughs) scenes from from uh, Christopher Black's point of view as well, sort of. So uh, uh, there are breaks. I I, I still see it as there are actual breaks, but fundamentally, ninety-five percent. Of the novel is told, yeah, is Evelyn telling us telling us two different, and there's a reason why she's telling a contradictory version of that. Uh, well, of he, story. well, what's really interesting is the the parts where she's writing as Dina. She's not actually telling us anything. No, it's for one. She's telling Christopher Black stuff. Yes, but we don't know that because we're reading a book and we're used to the artifice (laughs) of of first person narrator talking to us as the reader. Um, But so when you go back and look at those parts, once you realise who the audience, who the very specific audience for those parts are. They take on a completely different light. So we should say that the book, the blurb sort of um, skirts around it, but the book is quite open in the very first pages that what this is about, which is it's this um, castle out in the Scottish Isles Mm. um, and you've got this uh, cultish-like situation. It talks of Cultish-like? A cultish, well, cult, yes. Cult, I'm just saying, it is a cult. A cult. It's interesting. It says a community. It's very small, extremely small community. I mean, it, the sort of blurb it makes is, out like there's is, 30 or 40 kids in this place. No, there's... It is one really evil man who has yes. um, acquired two, Yes. Two, well, he's acquired two... Well, he's got... When we when we get there, there's two older women, mm. Alice and Nora. I'm doing this who are his, Yeah, who are his wives, quote, unquote. Yes. quote, unquote. And then there are the, well, a couple of them are the progeny of that, but it's not oh, always they're, clear. They're, they're all, all the progeny. They're, well, 
They're yeah. all the project. Yeah, because because they're all from the, the water. The, yeah. the lie that they're they're children who have been adopted through fostering from orphanages for people You're who right. don't want Correct. them is they're just an the, out and out lie. lie. They're all the children of of Nora or Alice. I think that's very clear by the end of it. It's just it's skin crawling. Really so horrible. you've got and and then you've got Dina, Evelyn, Evelyn. baby Elizabeth, uh, yeah. Abel. Who's not a baby? They just no, call her baby Elizabeth. Ba- no, Abel. Abel, uh, and, and then the, the the child who's born in the course of the novel, Mary. Yes, correct. Yeah. So we are only talking about a community of eight, yeah. and many miscarriages, and many. Many miscarriages. It's not huge, but the point I was going to make is that the book starts with them, uh, with a murder scene. They're all yeah, they're all murdered. Well, except well, for Dina. Well, uh, yes, except for Dina. And well, the char- the character who we think is Dina. Yes, and uh, Abel Abel's not there in the in the tableau that we see mm-hmm. uh, to begin with. So we don't know what's happened to Abel either. Of course, we're going to find out. So yeah, so it's 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 a, it's a member of the community of loyal uh, who comes. He's dropping off beef. We're going to find out that he is—he himself is going to play a massive role uh, in this novel. But uh, dropping off beef for, for for this cult, who comes across at the stones that are right near the castle, yep, uh, on uh, the, like standing the, stones, like standing stones, yep, uh, finds these corpses, and so it sets sets up that way. So that's not a—that's not the mystery at all, except it is because <laughs> how did <laughs> we get mis- here? Yeah, the mystery is what actually happened, um, yes. and and what what narrative are we should we believe? And look, I've got to say, I also find that sort of storytelling now a bit old hat. I, I'm where we get shown a terrible thing, a disaster, something, and then the rest of the book is essentially a series of flashbacks explaining, hmm. putting the pieces together. I, I also find that a bit dull. I, I just because to me, there's a lack of suspense because we know where it's all going. Of course, I've completely changed my view. <laughs> not ju- I have to say, not just this book, Better yeah. Call Saul. I, 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 I know why we're bringing Breaking Bad into this again, but uh, Better Call Saul has completely changed my view of how prequels work and how, how you can be extremely inventive, even if we all know what the end point is. This book also does the same. Little Eve shows how you can play. It's such a rich thing mm. that you can play with. Even if we sort of know where it's going to end, of course, this yeah. novel also plays with the end point as well. But yeah, uh, because it's, it's... We, we think, and it was really interesting reading the book because the, in terms of, I guess, page count, the bulk of this narrative is um, pre this event and the, the the days and weeks leading and years leading up to this event and and how this family in huge scare quotes live. <laughs> And how their their day to day was, and what the rituals were around it, and it's most that is mostly told. Well, that is all told from Evelyn's perspective, yep. and that you that story is so well done and so immersive, and I would remember from time to time while reading it where it ends up, and it just it, it just never gelled that this character Evelyn, who I was re- even in her most um, darkest or most uh, borderline psychotic episodes could actually do this thing. I couldn't see how we got from what I was reading to that point on. Yes, I know. Neither could I. At the beginning. And yet I didn't really question that we would get to that point. Yes, same. <laughs> exactly the same. It's just like how do we get there? This, I can't, I cannot see Evelyn doing this. Yeah. And of course, she didn't, as as the way it was described to us. 
So. Yes, but 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 then again, the sort of thing you ask yourself, well, you're concerned about is it's going is it going to cheat? Yeah, that, and that is the concern. You get this kind of readily dread going, oh, what's she going to do? <laughs> but she doesn't like the author does not. It, it's just crafted exceptionally well, and ev- and every misdirection is is organically there. There's none of this. Um, I think some of the some of the narratives you're talking about, Ian, because it goes in a cycle. You have like a, a book or a movie will be done that, that does something in a very new and surprising way, and then you'll get this a whole bunch of not necessarily imitators, but you know works which are created in the shadow of that and are trying to do similar things. And the effectiveness of those is, is a fairly short tale, I think. <laughs> but what a book like Little Eve does is show us that there is really no trope or structure or device that that can't still be done well even after we think it's been done to death. And Catriona Ward certainly plays with this idea of uh, unreliable narrators and the, the trope of setting up the big terrible thing only to then spend the rest of the book telling you how this actually occurred. And she does it very well, I think, by incorporating those two things together. The unreliability of her narrator is something that, it, as I said, it's not a showy thing, but it's something upon which the the mystery of how this event occurred really does depend. So she also salts the clues cleverly through mm. the book. So. It's all there on the paper. None of this is uh, a twist without reason. It's no, and that's it's all it's all there for us to figure out, and for the police officer who's central to this story, uh, Christopher Plack, also to figure out as he eventually does. So it, it's all there on the page. It's and that's mm. what makes it so brilliant, and that's why it never feels like a cheat for me. I have a question for you though. Yeah, it isn't. It does another thing that's also now common. And does it really well, in my view? But I thought, wanted to know your view. The whole "is this supernatural? Is this not supernatural?" thing. Oh, I never, I never believed it was supernatural. I, I think one of the, th- and I, that might be a personal bias. I would have been disappointed if it had turned out to be supernatural. So, the, so, so Evelyn, Evelyn believes she has uh, sec, uh, second sight. Or th- mm. okay, there's this whole the whole mythology that's built around this this cult around the snake. Which and the, the uncle the, has, it's like a personal kind of mythology that he yes. has created. And that there is also this sort of Cthulhu-like snake in the water that's going to rise and mm. take over the world and destroy the impure, etc. And so there's a ritual that they have where they are bitten by a snake, Hercules, um, and the intent there is that they will be able to see through the eyes of uh, Hercules and, and, and be able to just their, their mental faculties will grow yeah. uh, as a result. And Evelyn believes that she has that power. And yep. so when she's in the market, because uh, they sell produce, et cetera, in the market, she also um, acts as a, as a psychic sort of. L- later and, on. Yeah. Much later on, yeah. Much later on. And she uh, believes that she can s- not see into the future so much as sort of pars a person's life. And Well, that's it. She she actually says, like, she herself- I don't speak to the dead. She says that. I don't speak to the dead. She herself says in in that section it's really beautifully done um but she talks about how you know, like um elements of cold reading and all this stuff that that you know people who profess to be psychics like john edwards and so on use all all of the skills that they use which are just very non-supernatural very human psychological skills that can be learnt and understood and developed so that it appears 
you're doing something amazing. And, and Evelyn says that she says she can, you know, she can, she can read people, not in a supernatural way, but she can just read people. She can pick up the common threads of, of humanity. She can read body language. And, and, and then of course you tease out, you start with little things. Um, and as you get nibbles about what is accurate and what isn't accurate, you drop the, the stuff that's wrong and you keep following the stuff that you've guessed at that is true guesses. And, and then suddenly you, you get what seems like an, an amazing psychic reading. Um, and she says this, she knows, she's un, she understood this, this is what she does. I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see, I know there were, there were intimations of it. And the one thing I was that was unexplained for a little bit was the, the, the benison, the, the effect yes. of, this like the being in this state but then it's very beautifully explained which we don't need to talk about and again it's been there all along it's like oh god damn of course of course that's what it was <laughs> it's and it's a very again it's a very organic explanation which also kind of uh is is another reason i guess why john Baring's chose this particular place to situate his cult and and there's also oh my goodness the other thing she does so well is it's so deeply deeply within Evelyn's point of view like hundred percent all the time and it, it, in terms of not only what what she sees and observes but in what she can understand and her perspective on everything and Ward does a really clever thing with the the character of Christopher Black and bringing him in as an observer and we we don't get his point of view we do get this weird brief little third person thing towards the end of the book but we don't get him coming in and thinking about it what we get is his observances verbalized through conversation with with Evelyn with John Bearings um, and the most and the first time this really stood out to me was we, we've had quite a lengthy bit of the book where it is talked about, you know, food and the fact that um, they don't eat a lot and there's a lot of controlling around Oh, yes, I know what you're talking about. And nutrition. And we've had this all the way through and it just never even clicked to me until Christopher Black came to the island and said to John Bearings, this horrible, exploitative cult leader, I see you eat really well. These kids are skin and bone, but you eat really yes. well. Look at yes. you. And I went, oh, my God, it's true. But because Evelyn never sees that, we never got we, we got the intimations of it, but I never put the pieces together. Oh, my God, he is starving the rest of them, but he gets to eat whatever because he, of course, is the adder. He is the, the manifestation of the snake god. So he gets to eat because he, he needs the energy to do what he does. Like it's it's such it's just so awful. Like you don't need you don't need anything supernatural. It is so awfully, awfully, tragically, uh, you know, a, a narrative of, of human evil. And this man is a vile, vile, monstrous human being. But you don't get that for so much of the book because Evelyn doesn't see him that way. And for yes. Evelyn, all of this is perfectly normal. And she's not starving because this is just what it is to be alive for her. So she never says, oh, I'm so hungry, I'm starving, oh, he eats so much and we get so little, because that's not something that enters her worldview. It's, it's just so not, not until Not until very late. It does start to trickle in, uh, but it's only very late. Uh, and it's, it's and it's initiated by 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 Christopher Black coming in yeah, and he, bringing in a different perspective and saying, "Hey, you realize this isn't how people live. You realize this isn't what love is. You realize this isn't what family yes. is like." You re and, and he does it really 
like he's such a beautifully drawn character because he he clearly understands you can't just take someone who's who's you know been indoctrinated into this awful awful way of life and just throw a truth bomb at them and get them to go oh you're right this is shit I'll leave like he does it so gently and so gradually and just feeds this stuff to to Evelyn hoping you know it will it will start to erode her belief in what John Barings has raised her to believe and and it does eventually it does but it's really hard like it's really really hard and even as an adult she still can't get away from what she was brought up to think and it's just it's oh, it's just so beautifully tragically written well, because it's also it. it's also a book about love and yeah and the and the way love can be abused but also just um the the sisterly love between Diana mm. Dina and and Eve and it's it's yeah. just um yeah it, it's it is beautiful and tragic as you say mm. and 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 I mean, John Bering is the most revolting. He is absolutely vile. <laughs> he is no. absolutely vile. But you do get an understanding of how cults work and yeah. why and, they and work. And magnificently drawn. Like he is yeah. magnificently drawn. Like it, it's it's subtly drawn because it's, he's it's not from he's, his perspective. He's, he's, he's come uh, from, the, from the Crimea, I assume, war, and uh, he's, he's fractured. He's, bra- he's, he's obviously not great mm. in the head. And this is how he's decided to cure himself, which is create a cult, mm. and yeah. uh, and use his charisma, what he has of it, to to bring initially Alice and Nora into his world, and then take it from there. And uh, and clearly, he just he's addicted. They're addicted to him. Uh, well, they're they're. This is their whole world. I mean, they'll knowingly go world. in solitude for days on end. The Wayne, as it's called, yeah, and 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 accept the punishment. I mean, the most well, chil- horrific children, children forms do of privation. Accept, but children do accept what their parents, or in this case, well, yes, actual parent, not that yes. they think in the beginning that he is parent. Because the other thing, like the interesting thing, is that one of the tenets of this cult is that the idea of family and and family relations are eschewed. So you don't. They, they, he's not like. He has the title kind of, of of uncle, but that is more like an like he talks about it as an, an honorary title, and he doesn't he discourages. In fact, he he prohibits close familial relationships. Yes, yes, it's key to the, his cult yes. of, of a preference, right? So when the the baby Mary is born, her mother is like she's taken away from her mother immediately. Yes, and her mother has to uh, produce milk for. Um, Evelyn and, and um, Alice to feed the baby because Nora is not allowed near her because she, the maternal bond is considered um, a, a blasphemy because the only the only loyalty and, and bond of that nature you should have should be with the, the, the god that they have constructed. It is such a, an evil way to to make yourself the only person people are dependent on. And they even within a, a family-like structure, they, they do not have each other. Um, they're not allowed to have each other. They're not allowed to build a bond that is stronger. And yet, and yet we see that these bonds are in fact constructed. And of course, when you later find out he's a pedophile, just as yeah, well. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, um, and again, you th- there's a part of me thinks, well, how many layers of what I'm going to say melodrama or revelation could be put on and, and, this, and the book creaks against its own revelations and yet it all just works it, it's all so well put together that the, that the final 
revelation, which we've all pretty much assumed anyway, that uh, and that, that so that Eve is blocked from her mind that is that he has abused her, uh, sexually abused her. Um, you just feel, oh yeah, okay. I mean, this guy. Well, the, hate- the idea is that she hasn't really. Like she, she never really experienced that because he did that while she was under the influence of this drug. Yes, the venison. Yeah, so it's it's not that that she even really remembered it, and it comes as quite a surprise to her when Nora tells her that that's what was happening. But it, it's I think because it's not like this isn't laid on as as melodrama and oh yet another reveal what what this is and what Ward has done, and I guarantee you she's done a lot of research into cults and how these charismatic leaders operate and it doesn't feel like oh another reveal what it feels like is well of course because these we have from the very beginning this is John Baring's this is what he's like and he has this is you know he has his his preferences he has his worldview and he has constructed this cult brought these people into the world to support that to consolidate that to live the way he wants to live and and it all speaks to that. So there's no like of co- of course he's he's raping the young girls when they get anywhere near close to sexual maturity. Of course he is because that is what people like him do. We've seen in actual real life cults that have been documented. This is a really common, very very common, not universal, but a very very common practice within these cults for these cult leaders to attain young girls within the cults, whether or not they're related to them. For, for you know, as soon as they reach, or you know, not even when they reach sexual maturity, like it is a very common thing. So it doesn't come as a surprise. It comes as well, of course, of course. It would almost be a surprise if he wasn't. Did you notice though that uh, Ward seems to deliberately give both the reader and the characters no sense of catharsis? So he's killed off screen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so you don't get that a moment where so Nora, mm. spoilers, kills him off screen. As uh, as she has now decided that she wants to become the leader, yeah, es- essentially driven mad by the fact that she's had so many miscarriages, so many of her children have been taken away from her, but also that the will that this that, that this uh, that that John uh, has been uh, has written is going to Dina, and it's a whole it's all shenanigans. But but the point is that, that that no character gets any sense of catharsis when he dies because he's except for Nora and none of the story is told through her perspective. So mm-hmm. it's this. Um, I, I, I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but the, the, the readers also he's dead already. You know, we see him dead at the front of the novel, and we know he's going to die. And I suppose as we know how evil and dreadful he is, and we feel mm. well at least he doesn't survive. <laughs> and we might, and, and we, and there might be that sense of catharsis about his death, but there isn't at all. I think that's really, really valuable, though, because because there isn't, there actually isn't. Like there wouldn't be catharsis, and there shouldn't be. And if we get some kind of artificial literary catharsis because we see the big bad die, it, it is just that it is artificial. And one of the things that this book is discussing all the way through is that there, there, there has been no catharsis for. Evelyn, it, it's impossible. She she's living with what has happened to her and how she grew up and what has happened to her family, and she is still living with that. And it is really difficult, and it has shaped her. And just if she got to see, or even if she herself had killed John Barings, it wouldn't have made a difference except to add to her trauma. 
And that is one of the really valuable things about this book, that it does pull the rug out on this idea that we see so commonly, especially in horror and thriller fiction, that, that yeah, that the death of the monster, the death of the, the evil human, the death of the thing is somehow, you know, triumphant and cathartic when it, it isn't and it never is. It, it, it is just going to be more trauma. That's, yeah. that's what it does. And this book shows that exceptionally well. Let's leave on that note, unless you had anything more to say. No, I, look, I have so much more to say, but um, <laughs> we're not going to make this a three-hour podcast. So, yes, um, highly, highly recommended, and I am oh, so looking forward to reading the other two. I'll report back in February <laughs> about what they're yeah, like. I probably won't read them straight away, but, yeah, that'd be great. Um, so let's move on to the next book, which I chose. So you chose Little Eve. I chose mm-hmm. the next one, which is uh, Light Perpetual by Francis Spufford. It's his second novel. Uh, he's known for writing uh, experimental uh, nonfiction book, which I look. I'll be honest; I haven't read them, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I've been aware of him for more than a decade. So I became aware uh, of him back in 2010 when he wrote Red Plenty, which was I thought a novel, but actually it's this sort of mix of it's about uh, Russia, it's uh, the Soviet Union, but um, it's I think set around Sputnik or something. But anyway, the point is, it's this mixture of, of fiction and non-fiction and, and, and anyway that's been his his go and then recently he wrote uh his first novel which was golden uh, hill which is golden hill thank you and now this is his second light perpetual now yeah so i decided let's let's do francis buffett because I, i've really wanted to read him and my response after reading Light Perpetual is that I need to go back and read his other work. I get the feeling that's not going to be your response, but <laughs> I'll say it right out. I adored this novel, even though I do accept the criticism that – I don't know what your criticism is going to be, but I already know what others have said. <laughs> what have others said? Well, okay, so let's, let's, let's put out the let's, let's, let's read uh, the blurb. Let's, let's read, read the, blurb. the blurb. I'll read the blurb first and then – Yes, go for it. And then we'll put it out in the open. So – Lunchtime on a Saturday, 1944, the Woolworths on Bexford High Street in South East London receives a delivery of aluminium saucepans. A crowd gathers to see the first new metal in ages. After all, everything's been melted down for the war effort. An instant later, the crowd is gone, incinerated. Among the shoppers were five young children. Who were they? What futures did they lose? This brilliantly constructed novel that's an alternative reel of time run, imagining the life arcs of these five souls as they live through the extraordinary, unimaginable changes of the bustling immensity of the 20th century London. Their intimate everyday dramas as sons and daughters, spouses, parents, grandparents, as the separated, the remarried, the bereaved. Through decades of social, sexual and technological transformation, as bus conductors and landlords, as swindlers and teachers, Patients and inmates, days of personal triumphs, disasters of second chances, and redemption. Ingenious and profound, full of warmth and beauty, Light Perpetual illuminates the shapes of experience, the extraordinariness of the ordinary, the mysteries of memory and expectation, and the preciousness of life. Now, can I just say this first off? Part of the problem with this book is that blurb, because the thing that it sets up is not what this book does. This book is not that blurb. I mean, it is in terms of the plot, so to speak, yeah. but not in terms of the themes that are mentioned here because no. it makes out that this is a book like Kate Atkinson's uh, Second Life. I think that's all right. Uh, Afterlife. Afterlife. Um, yeah. That this is going to be about uh, alternate histories, et cetera. Mm. 
No, it's not. <laughs> it's it, not. It, is, it is fundamentally based on a counterfactual, but even that counterfactual is, fiction. is completely fictional. So Yeah, it, yeah this is like it's – can I tell you a really weird thing? So okay. I, had, I had not heard of Francis Bufford before. They, he hadn't come across my radar. And it's like, okay, cool, you've chosen this book, I downloaded it, great. Uh, as, as listeners would know, I don't read around books at all before I read them for this podcast. Um, it, it, and Ian chose this one, so I knew nothing, 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 nothing. And I read the book and we'll, we'll talk about all of that. And then yesterday, literally yesterday, I just thought, oh, I'll, I'll just give him a few reviews and see what, what people have been talking about. For some reason in my head, I had read Francis as uh, the female version of the name. I read this book as that was written by a woman. <laughs> and then I found out Francis Spofford was a man. And you know what? It's so weird. It has slightly recast the book for me. <laughs> Even more negative or more? Just recast. And it's and it shouldn't. I mean, why should it? And yet, I think because the, the voice I had in my book, because it is uh, an omniscient narrative at, it, at its heart, it you know, goes very subjectively and directly into the perspective of each of its five characters. Yep. But, but it is um, very much an omniscient narrative on the whole and I kind of had just this this idea of this narrator I don't know as as coded female of of like this I don't know middle-aged woman or older woman's voice and that was kind so it was jarring oh hang on wait (laughs) it's not that at all and it's completely unrelated to this book as written and yet it's just do you not read do you not read the about the author at the end of the book do you just skip that bit yeah I did (laughs) skip that bit (laughs) I read I read the the author's note, but that's again all first person. And just, yes. you know, it, it literally wasn't until I, I put up a review on the Guardian and and they they said you know he has this is his second novel. And it's like is that a typo? <laughs> it's like oh wait, <laughs> oh it's Francis with an I. Oh I see my error. And again, it has no like it should have no bearing, and yet and I it, like it 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 just it just. <sighs> It's like it changed a colour cast, you know. That's all it did. It didn't okay. make it better or worse. It just re-changed the colour cast on the novel. It's really hard to explain, but it was a little bit distressing. <laughs> well, as you continue to digest that revelation, <laughs> I'll, I'll mention that the way the book is structured is um, we have the initial counterfactual. What mm-hmm. if a, a, a missile, a bomb, didn't hit a Woolworths in Bexford, which, by the way, also fictional. Yeah. Bexford does not exist. Although it's near Lewisham. So it's, it's and, it, there, it, and there was a Woolworth which was hit by a bomb and, and this is the this this is the, the real fact upon which um, Yes, correct. I guess which inspired the book. Correct. So so post that what if these children mm. survived, it's then a sort of Michael Apted type approach to the novel, which is that it's Oh, it's so seven up. It just reminded me like, oh, okay, every yes. fifteen years we'll drop yeah. in on these but guys. We'll, for a, we'll drop for in a and day. see where they're at. And see where Correct, at. and so it's five sections, yeah. starting with when they're school children. It does, and then it goes to, uh, through to the, uh, every fifteen years. It, it skips, mm. so it's not every seven years; it's every fifteen. So let's. Uh, so I want to do with the elephant, yeah, part of this, okay? Because that might be the thing. So the, the criticism of the book is: why bother with the counterfactual? Even why have it? it it's don't say anything. Yet. Let me just finish. Yep. Okay. Given neither the town nor the Woolworths, nor the five children ever existed. Yes, theoretically, 
bombs hit. And, yes, it's based on tangentially mm. a real thing, but none of the stuff in the book existed. Mm. Why not just have a story about five people and jump and drop in on them? Why have this counterfactual to begin with? I have an answer to that, and it's one that, look, I'll be honest, matches what Spufford says himself, yeah. and I see it as profound, but I think a lot of people have said it's not. What is the point of this book? And 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 I'm interested to hear your thoughts, given that I think that is the <laughs> that is the what, elephant. Why well, do what, this? What, well, what is because, your answer? What is well, your answer? Well, okay, so because uh, the other point to be made here, if this was a science fiction novel, which it isn't, in my view, even though it does no. rest on this counterfactual, um, it would the the, the the these characters would the, things would change. So the history that we know it would be different in some way because these five people survived. And it's not. In fact, it's very much the history that we all know mm. and love. I mean, I guess UK-based, so, yeah, you know, the, the times going on strike in 1979 doesn't have much resonance for me living in Australia, but it's, it's, it's the history that we know going in the same direction as we know it. So these five, and this is, I'm certain, is deliberate, these five are as ordinary people as you can have who, whose lives have no actual impact more than within their own circle on the macro sense of the yeah, world that they it's, live in. It's not like as though because Alex survived the the strike in the Times took a radically different, you know, or, or or because he survived he was the reason there was a strike, you know. And if, Correct. Yeah, there's there's none of, no, there's no, um, and that, I don't think that is, I mean, that would not be the point of the book. The point of the book is not to. No, 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 I'm just, all I'm saying is I'm framing that if you're going to do that sort of counterfactual, the, the the science fiction response is to is to then, well, do different sh- different shit. You know, like take it, take, see what the history would be, look be, like because this person survived. This actually happened. Correct. Not the point of this book, as you just said. It is about very much the provisional nature of life. That is what it, that the fragility that it is a miracle that we are alive in the first place. And I know this is going to sound very twee and and you know obvious. But the book is about well, what does it mean? What what is what does it mean to live a life when potentially the option was not living it at all? And I found that to be quite profound. Even though these are fictional characters and the counterfactual is completely fictional, I found it to be quite a profound experience reading that and then re- re- overlaying it over my own experience. That, and that's not to say that Spuffett is saying that life wills out, life is always better. Or that it, no matter how shit your life is, it's better than being dead. That's not necessarily the point, but more the fact that there is just this inherent fragility in our existence. And as small or as big as our lives are, it, it's it's in and of itself a miracle. And it's interesting to note that Spuffett himself is a religious person because mm. there is that transcendent transcendental. That's not the right word, but. Um, Feeling sublime. Of, uh, sublime, correct. There yeah. is, beautiful. There is a feeling of the sublime throughout the novel. Of course, it's actually in the title, light, perpetual light. It's a re- it, it, there is a religiosity to this text, and mm. I can see some people pushing against that as well, because it is while not overtly uh, any particular religion, it is very much of the sublime. And again, I I found that quite profound. Even though I personally am agnostic, I found that very profound. So that's my view. Now I'll I'll shut up. (laughs) Um, This was a really strange book for me to read because I – 
like the individual parts, I, I quite enjoyed reading. He has a very uh, elegant way of expressing things. Um, I really loved actually that the opening sort of prologue chapter where the bomb does come and he slows time down and I, I think that was just delightfully written and of a, a, a quite a new perspective on this sort of thing and, and how we generally think about, you know, bombings and so on. Um, it was, yeah, it was quite that, – that, that bit I found quite um, – cinematic in a way you could almost see what he's describing and I'm, I'm not a visual reader so that's quite unusual for me but um oh yeah the the opening is beautiful yeah it was really really good and I, I liked the narrating voice of that opening and that almost seemed to usher in a different book than the one I then read um and that said each of the individual parts um were well done. And I liked dropping in on these characters. I liked reading the bits that I read about, some more than others. I really liked Jo. I thought she was fantastic. And Ben, I, I liked where Ben's life went. And it did, it just reminded me all the way through so much of the the Up series, you know, 7 Up, 14 Up, etc., etc., which I haven't finished watching. I feel like I need to get the last couple. But it was beautifully written. And it's it's no surprise that Spufford's a, an historian because it, it is, it is weaving, it's, it's like a social history, right? It is using the lives of these very ordinary mundane people, and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, to tell the history of, uh, of London from the late 20th century and into the 21st century because the last one is 2009. But just to look at this this, this period of time and look at what um, London and, and by extension the UK and, you know, you know the, the rest of the world in terms of its impacts and so on um, and how, how things have developed through the eyes of these people. And, and that was very enjoyable to read. Like each of the little chapters were very enjoyable to read and he, he makes some surprising turns into, in the lives of these people, which is great because, you know, no one's life really inhabits a trajectory that is predictable all our lives, if we look at the minutiae of our lives especially, go ways we did not expect them to be. And it was it was lovely to see that uh, where we might predict a character going in the next section was usually very different when we got there 15 yeah. years later because 15 years is a long time for a lot of life stuff to have happened to people. And it's um, I also appreciated the the slight brushing together of some of these lives. Val and Joe, obviously sisters. He, doesn't so lives, he, he deliberately doesn't overplay that. He does. He, he doesn't. He doesn't. But, you know, Joe and Val are sisters, so their their lives are disconnected anyway. Um, but the other, the three boys who become men are unrelated and unrelated to Joe or Val. So, but they're living in this small town. Every so often there's a there's something where you go, oh, okay, that's. You know, and some connections are more significant than others. And sometimes you don't realise there was a connection until you get to the next person's chapter. But I, I like those. I liked all those little threadings. But overall, I'm going to agree with what you've reported other people saying. The beginning of this book, the the, the remarkable description of that bombing and the the rumination around that and, and what if that didn't happen and what if these people lived and what if that that didn't didn't lead into this rest of this book which if you chop that bit off and just said here is a fictional social history of london through the eyes of five people great 
Excellent. Well done. Beautifully done. Beautifully threaded. Wonderful writing. Beautiful little connections that went back and forth. But for me, disjointed because, yeah, the counterfactual is, well, as you said at the very, very beginning of this podcast, all fiction is a counterfactual. (laughs) These people never existed. And the conceit isn't even that this is a creative imagining of five people who died. Which he would never have done and no one would ever do because that's gross. No, it, it is gross and that would have unless been... They're, unless, they're, unless they're famous historical figures. Unless then, they're famous historical yeah. figures, right? But that's it. It's like it's fiction. Like look how wonderful that they lived but they never lived and, and they never would have lived. They're, they're fictional constructs. They're always fictional constructs and you've, you've done them for the most part quite well but they never lived. They were never people. They were never going to be people. This is fiction and if you want us to connect as as we do as readers to connect with your fictional characters on an emotional level and and a very real level in terms of how we cognitively process fictional people that's great but that's a conceit we all just have to keep in the background as soon as you bring it to the front and center and say look what a, what a, see what life they would have had if they hadn't died you're going but they didn't live <laughs> okay they were fictional. They never – don't make me think about that. That breaks it. It didn't for me, though, at all. Yeah, for me it did because they're not <laughs> – And it did for a lot of people, I will say. I mean, it got it – got, um, it's interesting. It got long-listed for the uh, booker. And I saw one person say, well, the only reason it got long-listed is because of that opening that is gorgeous. Mm. The opening is remarkable. And the very end, uh, the Ben chapter at the very end that has mm. this magnificent – thing around praise. I don't know if you, it, it, which yeah. is this gorgeous bit of poetry, really, mm. uh, prose poetry. Uh, and that, and that's what the, the book of judges <laughs> got. Which, because which is, it is, look, it's, it is a great book. It really is. I don't think it is a magnificent book. And, you know, it's going to be, a, you know, a subjective experience. So what, what you find profound, I, I find a, a truism, like a mundane truism. Yes, we are Every single one of us are here only because of, if you look at the odds, an astronomical chance of our particular person from from conception, that particular sperm carrying that particular bit of DNA matching with that egg. That is why we are here. And then why we are here as people and who we are and our living situations and who our family is and who our friends are and what our... All of that, a series of, of absolute, you know, it could any any decision, any minute, any day, any hour, and we are in a different life 20 years later. Absolutely. But to me, that's there's no profundity there. It is yeah, just okay. an Can absolute I explain? truism. Okay. And I, I did say that to begin with, that it is. And yes. by the way, it's the same for every animal and insect and plant yes, as well. Yes, yes, <laughs> yep. I think there is a scene um, – so to me, this is the sort of book that remind truisms are easy to take for granted because they are because of what they are, and this mm. is just something that reminds us of that. And yes, fine, you go well. All right, great, thanks, thanks, Francis. Well done, mate. But there's a there's a scene uh, on the subway with Alec um, as this is in his last his last section as he's going off to a wedding, where he has this moment where he can't. So there's this whole thing where we when we go out in the world. Our our brain just uh, homogenizes everything because otherwise we'd yeah. go crazy if, mm. if every little thing you know became uh, apparent, and that's what's happening to him on the subway. Every face that he's seeing is just jumping out at him, 
and becoming a parent. And just for a moment there, he can't. Well, he's, he's realising that every person is a person with their yeah. own life and their own inner life and they're, yeah. they're not just yeah. wallpaper in his life. And to me, to me, that's, that's look, maybe it's obvious. I'm sorry. But <laughs> when, right now it's something that I needed to be reminded of. And maybe that's the, it's, it's a book that, you, that comes to a person at a particular time maybe, maybe mm. not. But I needed to be reminded of that there is something inherently special, not just about myself but about everyone. And, yes, obviously it's a truism. We all know that, that everything rests on the minuscule of – I mean, my daughter – a few days ago, it, it occurred to her that if her grandmother had not married her grandfather, she wouldn't exist, and she's eight. And, and, and it just popped into her head, and those things do pop into our heads, these, these moments. But I don't know, sometimes I just need to be reminded of it <laughs> in, in a way that this does, in a sublime way. It doesn't just tell us. It does it in a beautiful – and, look, it, it, it's my catnip in that it's got lots of run-on sentences that just – flow in a sort of like a river and 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 that's a terrible metaphor and uh it's it, it, that's the sort of thing i love i love that sort of writing so mm. that, that that helped as well but yeah i don't know it moved me it did it affected me even though it is the most obvious of truisms that we all know when we wake up every morning but do we think about it no i don't think we do generally think about it and this book made me think about it for three days that's the yeah, point and, that, and that's and that, that is like i'm not that's absolutely a valid response and i'm not diminishing that oh, you I think are. <laughs> I think for me I guess I've I've grown especially in recent years I've grown very impatient with anything that that kind of <sighs> talks around or hints towards or, or let alone actively embraces the idea that, that that human beings either individually or as a species are in any way special we're not we're another living organism on this planet if anything, we have a very special responsibility to the rest of the life and organisms on this planet because of what we have done and what we are capable of doing and yet failed to do repeatedly on a daily basis. And I, I don't think Spufford was overly sentimental, but often it is, this, this sentimentality around the about how humans are so special. Uh, we're not, we are to ourselves and, and those who we love are very special to us, but on a a global scale on a universal scale we're, we're not special we're another organism that managed to attain what we know or what we think is a unique position in terms of our uh, cognition and our self-awareness although we are learning that we are not the only self-aware creatures but I don't think that's miraculous I don't think that grants us a, a privilege it grants us a responsibility. It doesn't grant us a privilege. And I don't think that saying, isn't it wonderful that we are alive, is sublime. I will acknowledge the astronomical odds against me being here to say that sentence. But I don't think there's anything special about that. I think that is just, well, I am here. I am here the same way as, as that spider lily on my bench is here and that tree in my yard is here and that fly that I I killed yesterday is here or was here and there's nothing special about any of that and I as I said I get a little frustrated by by these kind of notions when that's it shouldn't it shouldn't matter it shouldn't matter but yeah I get I get what you're saying I think the the part for me that I really liked in the book was Joe's last scene 
because Joe is was oh, a musician. Yes, yes, with with her. I, I would have I would have wanted the book to end on that because her her realization that what she had thought was failure and what she had put aside in from her younger years when she was a musician and and possibly had things gone two three four five six thousand different branches she could have become a rock star but she didn't and she put that part of her life away and considered it a failure and her realization in this last chapter in this la- these last years of of her life that that doesn't have to be a failure that just because you didn't reach a pinnacle of something it doesn't mean something wasn't worthwhile it doesn't mean something should be put away or, or pushed down into a trunk and forgotten about and not spoken about as though it was just a, a failure you shouldn't acknowledge it that there isn't value in that and there isn't value in that not only for you but for those around you and the wider community and that, that I thought was really lovely again not not profound but it's not something we see acknowledged a lot in our culture and I thought that was really really nice um, the connection she has with her her younger self and her younger her earlier work that she has set aside to become a teacher and an educator um, was was really really beautiful and I would have been very happy for the book to actually end with her chapter because I didn't like Ben's chapter is lovely for me that that wasn't where the where the the book landed it landed for me in Joe's chapter that's where it landed that was for me anything approaching yeah around, that's where that lived if i do have a quibble with the book it's it's that he it clearly he felt that he needed to end with one of them dying and i don't know why yeah i because that's and and and, and so it you could easily have had the ben chapter not him dying um uh, still telling some part of his story. Oh, you could have ended with him dying, but it could have been the chapter before Joe's because no, they're not, think, they're not think, all told in the same order. In no, it, no, 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 no. I know. Yes, I know. But I think I think he felt thematically, I'm trying to get into Spufford's brain, that <laughs> that, that because of this whole th- uh, um, thread around around light, yeah. light, etc., it, it all ends with light in a sense and, and the, the death is, is linked to that and but you see I would I would argue that that Joe's chapter where it where it's set at night and out on the deck in the dark and all I, the I, light I, that she feels is inside I think that would have been a beautiful ending play I agree with you no 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 I agree with you and I think he constrained himself by ending it with uh, that way because you'll note that the Ben chapter is, as well is extremely short very short uh, it, it yeah. feels like an epilogue yes and 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 that and that really Ben's story ends yeah at that wonderful there's a few things that, that scenes that just I loved the the bar, the barbecue the, the the whole the barbecue scene was exquisite just just the way Spuffer just puts all that together and mm. as and, and remember we're, we're seeing this every 15 years so he's having to do a lot of hard work Spuffer in trying to describe a lot of these sketch out all of these other characters who you will literally see for five pages and mm. give them life and he does it. I, this is why, technique-wise, to me, this book is extraordinary because of the oh, way he it does is, that. It is exceptionally written. It is he, he, the way he is able to catch you up on the fifteen years without giving you this lengthy potted history. Yeah, exactly. Is and the way he can deftly sketch uh, who, who you know someone who I was going to say walk-on character, but they're not a walk-on character. They're very, very important in that section. We just might not see them again in the next one, and we may not have seen them before. It is. Very well written. And like I said, I felt like almost I read two different books. I read this fictional social history, which was beautifully done. And I started to read this other book, which was which was about something different, which I never got to read. 
<laughs> but there were traces of it throughout the book that I did read. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's And it's, it's funny because a- the blurb thinks you're reading that second book. It's selling you that second book. But, yeah. But that isn't what the book is. No. And, and uh, yeah, I... <laughs> I don't know. I, I, look, I, I'll defend this book until the cows come home because I, I did. I did not hate this book. I just no, no, didn't I love it in the way a lot of people, I think, have, um, and they're, and their personal reasons. They're, they're, you know, I think the reactions we each had to the book are reflective of, of <laughs> where we're personally sitting at the moment in our lives. Yeah, I mean, look again, and, and there are so many. There are memorable moments as well, which I think mm. also fit, fits part of the theme. And look, I, I do push against. Uh, your view about that we're not special and etc. Not that I think we are. I do think though that the view you have does take us towards a nihilism that I find hard to digest. That's all. And I know we can't be friends anymore. <laughs> no, I no. I'm just going to briefly defend that because I don't see it as nihilism. I see it as an acknowledgement that if if we consider ourselves special. We must consider everything special. I agree, and I and and that's what I think. A lot of this perspective it doesn't acknowledge that it puts us in a special privileged place, Fair and enough. I don't. And I that is what I I I do not like. And that that is I think it cannot be argued that that view of ourselves as a species and on a on a micro level that view of ourselves as individuals is what it has gotten us into a lot of fun yeah. Trouble. I mean, look, we're, we're recording this while, uh, what is it, G- COP26 is happening in yeah. Glasgow. And you only have to see that to see how uh, our, our, the, the, the issues that you're raising are happening in real time as we speak. Uh, this, this exceptionalism about ourselves is relating to the fact that we can't come to an agreement about mm. uh, carbon de- uh, removing carbon. We can't come to an agreement about how to fund developing countries because we've yeah. spent two hundred no, years. Because no one wants to to lose anything. No, and we want to have know, our cake we, and eat it. That's the, exactly yeah. It's Every, a everyone's like, it's true. We we want we want, but we don't want to have to lose out. Yes, and it's just the idea that we, we're all going to have to lose something. One way, tell, one way or one way or another, we're all going to lose something. We're happy to tell India or China or countries that are developing, and I put mm-hmm. that in scare quotes. You can we can all. De- argue what that means but those countries that, that haven't had the advantage of two centuries or three centuries of industrialization say uh sorry you can't do what we did and uh yeah uh, and by the way we'll try and raise 100 billion every year but we're probably not so sorry bye and yeah. run off i feel like if i think about um so light perpetual as as one kind of sublime end of the sublime spectrum and then I think about the overstory that we read. Yes. To me, that that was profound and sublime. It, and it wasn't saying, oh, humans are just rubbish. But it was talking about the the profundity of all life and the interconnectedness of all life, not just the interconnectedness of human beings and how we affect each other and how special we are, but the interconnectedness of every single thing on this planet and how everything on this planet deserves a place in the sun or in the shade or under the ocean or wherever they prefer to live. And I, I kind of thought about, you know, in, in terms of, I guess, the the thematic approach of these two books and I kind of link, like they feel like they're of a, of a family but at, at opposite ends. And the overstory is is reminding us that we are we are, we are not special creatures, not not in the broader sense. We, we are not. We are another organism on this planet. Whereas like perpetual 
does him say, hey, we're, we're really special. We're, we're kind of chosen. It's so special. Each one of us are here. And it's like, I don't think it is any more, as I said, any more than the cherry tree in my front yard. It's so special. That fucking tree is here. It's special that someone planted that tree 40 years ago when this house was built. It's special that they never chopped down the tree. It's special that it didn't fall over and die in the storms we had last week, like several of the beautiful old trees in Ballarat has that, I, that I've seen lying, waiting to get chopped up because they've just shattered at their base. That's remarkable. That is no less. That is no less remarkable yes. than me sitting here at the table talking. I don't disagree with you. I just don't think they're mutually exclusive, and so I don't think that. I, think I kind of, read... I kind of feel like they kind of are. No, well, I don't think you. I think you can read a book like this and accept that there's something uh, remarkable about life, or the provisional nature of life. Okay, hmm. and yet not then take the view that as a result humans are the best and everything else is uh, subservient to humanity. And I certainly do not think that that's what, and, and, and I know you're not saying this, but th- that Spufford would be arguing that there's a that that's that that's what you meant to walk away with that that. But you know what's the really sentience and humanity is 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 the be all and end all, and but, the rest is subservient. But you know what's really interesting, and I've only just kind of thought about this now, and I may be slightly wrong. I don't think I am. I don't think any character in this book ever has a pet. No one gardens. It is all about humans in the city. There's no, there is no, almost no acknowledgement of other life. It is just about humans. There are no pets, I can confirm. Yeah. So, and how strange is it that five people in their whole lives have never had a pet? And there's like, it's very common for people to have pets. It's very common. Um, so he's chosen five people that don't ever have pets. And whose children and grandchildren, there are no pets mentioned. And they don't garden. And they don't even have like, I mean, like that's it. Other life is not a part of this story, not even tangentially. Mm. And I've only just kind of thought about that now. So I may, like there may be like brief mentions here and there, but certainly there is, it it is all just about the humans. No, it is. No, no, you're not wrong. No, there are no, there are certainly, because uh, I, I literally read it three days ago. So, well, I, I finished it yesterday. So, mm. it's pretty fresh in my mind. And yeah. no, there are no pets. Uh, th- none of the char- none of the characters are environmentalists, or even even garden, or even no one even has like a, a pop like a row of pot plants. On no, their and it's bench. interesting. And, and look, and I'll, 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 let's follow this through. It's interesting that um, it ends in two thousand and nine, and the key point that it ends on is post global financial crisis. Mm. So, the crisis that Spufford explores for his characters is, a, mm. is the one that is directly related to humans, which is the finances. Mm-hmm. Yep. Climate change, Not I don't believe, and I might be going on a limb here, mm. is mentioned at all. Um, I see. I, I just I like this book a lot less now. <laughs> no, no, I, no, no, it's not. Um, there's it, what it does, it does talk about capitalism through Alec. There's this mm-hmm. whole socialism, Marxism. But, again, yeah. it talks about the financial structures and class structures Yep. of our society but it uh, but you're right it talks about the very human centric aspects of our society it doesn't it's, talk it's about the ecological human. or environmental aspects and, and the more i think life. about it now as that i've only just it's only just kind of occurred to me as we were talking it is incredibly exclusionarily human centric like it is all about humans and the problems we cause to each other not the problems we cause to anything else and and no, not but, the interactions we have this wasn't but, okay but this isn't the book he was trying to write though he was trying know, to write a book the, that was exclusionary fact, about humans. That is the I point. I know. But, but and I found a profound and you didn't. And I'm not trying to change but, your mind. But, but, not, but in all of the humans that we, we meet in this book, 
and there's there's no like animals and plants they just don't even come into it not even tangentially not even like it's just wow I, it yeah I, I'm gonna have to think about this some more because it's just it's it's a bit remarkable really um and look look what's even more remarkable is that none of this occurred to me while I was reading the damn book. okay so yeah it's talking to me <laughs> Um, so what you're now going to do is take a scene that I thought was incredible, which is where Joe gets the class to sit, to, to, to harmonize. Yeah. Oh, and you're, astonishing. and you're going to say, well, yes, but it's all about the internals of the human body. It's all about <laughs> the sticky, uh, sticky, what is it? Esophagus or trachea or whatever the hell I it really, is. I really like and, that and, scene. And, that, and, and that's so human centric because it's about what humans the ingenious nature of the human body, because it, it is, isn't it? And you're, now you're going to say, well, how dare Spufford do that when he doesn't talk about animals? It's not how dare. It's like, oh, and it I'm is. not, <laughs> I'm just saying this is like, yeah, it, it's, a, I guess it's a further kind of symptom of this, this exceptional human worldview. Uh, I, I mean, I can just imagine writing the review of this, say, where are the pets? That's... <laughs> Where are the I, pets? I just, I find, I, I don't know, mate. I, I, I don't know. I'm making, I am mocking, but I hear you, I'm not disregarding what yeah. you're saying. Okay, this is absolutely, unashamedly human centric. That is the entire point of the book. It is, it, it, it is all about the human experience. It is not about any fauna or flora. Okay, but, but this is my, and I think this is my issue. Um, off the top of my head, I think this is my issue because when you say it's all about the human experience, yeah. to me that sounds exactly like when people say, oh, but but it's a universal story, so of course it's about a white man because it's universal. We don't yeah. want to talk about the special. No, people. I understand. I understand that the same so when you talk, So when you talk about the, it's just about the human experience, the human ex- like for me, my includes, human experience yes, includes nature, includes yes. my companion animals. That is my human experience. Yeah. You take those things away, it's not my human experience. So how about I say the human experience qua human? <laughs> because <laughs> you, can't, you can't take it away. The human experience does and has to include the natural world and does and has to include those parts of the natural world that we incorporate into our lives, such as our pets, such as our gardens. It, it, that is the human experience. You can't. Ta- you shouldn't take that out. And if you do, and if your human experience is such that it doesn't include those things at all, that experience is very, very different from mine and very different from a lot of the people I know. Yeah, I, I hear you. We're going to disagree on this book. <laughs> I think you can have both. I think you can have a book like this that is very insular in the sense that you've written and still not walk away from this book because I certainly didn't and say, well... Uh, aren't we special? And <laughs> fuck the pets. <laughs> I and, and I agree. Find, and, me, uh, and, find me an animal so I can kick the shit out of it because I'm so great. <laughs> you know that's. I, 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 you can, I, I really do feel you can feel profound and moved and still accept everything you've said. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. You know, and but you love yeah. and you love the overstory. Like, I did. We, we are perfectly capable of reading completely different things and loving completely different things and containing them all. We are multitudinous that way. But, I, do, um, I do like the fact that they're on a con- continuum. I do like what you've said there, that the overstory and this book are on a, a separate side of a continuum, and, and that is interesting to me. That is, Yeah. 
And I, I, I just feel like this was, and as I said, this is not, I didn't hate this book. I didn't resent reading this book. There was a lot of it I really thoroughly, deeply enjoyed a, a lot of the scenes and sections, really. I just, for did me, you not laugh? As, a, as a whole, it didn't. It did did you not laugh when much. Vern, who's probably the least likable character, well, he's actually genuinely the least likable character, Vern, but when he, uh, he goes to the soccer match and at halftime they bring out an, old, uh, an older player who's from... He, Who's the one who we swindled yeah, with the stuff? He ripped off, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I just found that's. I mean, it's both tragic and hilarious. Uh, but, but look, I, I hear what you're saying. I love this book. I love the way Spufford wrote it as well. I will go and find his other work. I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think like you are going to go, and I will as well with Ward go through mm. her back catalogue. It's the same here. You may not do the same with Spufford, although I think you'll find probably a different experience with his uh, nonfiction. Not that I've read it, but it is meant to be different to this. But I don't know. Yeah, you, you're doing a you're doing a face. So I, I enjoyed reading it, but that but that's it. I didn't. I definitely did not have the the sublime experience you did. If anything, it was kind of the opposite. Okay, well, rather than uh, rehash that, I think that was actually a really good conversation. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Uh, You're I, welcome. I, me too. I, I, I well, yeah, we usually do that after the podcast, but I actually felt the need to say it now because that was actually really enjoyable. Um, but we're going to wrap up. We are wrapping okay, up. Let's wrap up on a high. So the next episode uh, will be in February 2022. Can you – I can't – the year. I can't believe it's gone, although this has been a shit-house year, I'll, be, I'll say. <laughs> I think for for me and and my experience won't be universal, but for me this twenty twenty one was worse than twenty twenty. Yes, no, I hundred percent agree with you. I for mean, no objective reason. Oh, I have an I have an objective reason. <laughs> uh, it's that COVID, uh, the impact of COVID, just what was no, a novelty and yeah, it was struggling, but we're getting there. Just became a grind this year. Um, yeah, well, I mean that was the reason, but in terms of like like objective markers or, or outcomes it's like there's no reason why this year should be worse than last year but it was yeah totally it was so we can only hope 2022 is better don't but anyway say don't say it okay i retract my last <laughs> comment um anyway that will be when our next episode is uh in that shiny new year i don't sorry apologies and the books we will be doing are i believe two shortish books um i love short books <laughs> that's not why i choose them though so the one I've chosen is When We Cease to Understand the World by Benjamin Labatou. And the one you've chosen is one that I also have desperately wanted to read. So thank you. Uh, and I actually happen to own on my Kindle already. Uh, a Ghost in the Throat by Dorian Nigrirofa. And I apologise if I've mispronounced that. We will, we will research that and pronounce it correctly in February if we have not done so. Yes, um, so please send feedback. Uh, you can comment at the website, writerandcritic.podbean.com. Send an email at writerandcritic at Gmail. I mean, you can follow us on Critter. Quitter. 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 Oh, no, that's perfect because I have quit Twitter. Yeah. I'm a, I'm Quitter. a Twitter quitter. <laughs> Look, you can follow, nothing gets updated there. So I actually hilariously added Writer and Critic twice in the last couple of days. Don't know why, because it's it's just more or less dead. But if you want to follow us, go well, ahead. You're, you're the one who should be like responding to those apps. So <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And and sponsor us on Patreon if you can. Look, and uh, that is 2021. Uh, it's been a great. I have got to say, we read some crackers this year. We did. And, it was a good reading year. It was. Um, and even though my reading personally has fallen off a cliff, I have read some great books. 
which you can find all about when I write my year in review column for Locus uh, in a month. So I don't know why I threw that plug in, but there you go. Uh, there we you go. can read that. So, Kirsten, any final words? Because I've said my final words, which is bye-bye. Do you have any <laughs> final words? Thank you to everyone who's been listening. If you miss us over the next couple of months and you haven't been listening to us for years and years and years, we have an extensive back catalogue you can dig through. Um, if you want to look at the books we've read, there is a there is a books list on the website too. So if you just want to go and, and see the books and, and pick an episode about that particular book, um, there will be a link from that list to that episode. Um, but, yes, everyone stay as safe as you can. Enjoy whatever holiday or festivities you are subscribed to. <laughs> on a monthly rate $9.95 <laughs> or else just have a have a very safe summer or winter depending which hemisphere you're in do those holidays come in 4k shut up um and yes thank you for listening we will see you in the new ish year hopefully bye <laughs> bye <laughs>